Welcome, listeners, to another episode of FF Plus, a spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, discussion, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for this episode of Reactions is Coles Davis. Hello, hello. Good to be back with you, my friend. So last week we were able to react and review a couple of new Amazon and Bloomhouse collaboration projects, two out of the four. And this week, we're going to be talking about the next two films that will be appearing on Amazon Prime Video here very soon. And we're also going to be talking about an upcoming Netflix film that has some serious Oscar potential. So, should be a lot of fun, should be a good episode. Let's go ahead and we will just get right in there and we will start with a movie called Evil Eye. This is going to be available on Amazon Prime on October the 13th. It stars, and I'm going to butcher some of these names probably, so I apologize if I do up front, Sarita uh, Shadhuri, Sunita Mani, Omar Mascati, and Bernard White, and it is directed by Ilan Dasani and Rajiv Dasani. The film is about this. At home in Delhi, India, proud parent Usha Khatri is overjoyed when her daughter Pallavi, played by Sunita Mani, calls from New Orleans with news that she has met someone special. But as Usha learns more about Pallavi's wealthy boyfriend, Sandeep, she becomes convinced something more nefarious than chance brought the young couple together. When Pallavi announces her engagement to Sandeep, mother and daughter are forced to confront dark family secrets and a terrifying supernatural force in this stylish psychological thriller. All right. You know, I found out something neat about this one, Coles, when I was looking up information afterwards for the synopsis and such this is actually based on an audible original which is very interesting and rare i don't know that i've ever seen a movie based on an original audiobook <laughs> so that was kind of neat uh, and new obviously we've had film adaptations of novels uh, plenty of times but audible originals are a relatively new thing and so this came about based on one of those which was cool uh for me i will tell you right up front man i'm gonna start because this was my favorite of the four movies. I know it gives away something for the last one where I talk about, oh, he's looking at me crazy. <laughs> so this film worked for me in a big way. It is entirely cultural in the same way that Black Box was a, div a diverse film that had an all black cast and a black director. This film is very much Indian in nature. Uh, I think there are some white folks in here a couple of moments, but really this is about an Indian culture. It's about Indian parents who have a certain standard for marriage for this daughter. This mother has this role in the family. It actually reminded me a lot, and I know this is a different ethnicity. It's Pakistani, but it reminded me of what we see in The Big Sick, where uh, Kumal Nanjiani in his character is being pressured by the mom to meet these girls. And the mom is so involved in the relationship. It's like, I found this guy for you online and you need to get married. And it's such an interesting world that I don't think most of us viewers who are not, you know, of their descent and didn't grow up Hindi in this re religion and this culture would relate to, uh, the way that the family dynamics work. So I, I really enjoyed seeing this tale from that perspective and the whole horror film here and this is another one where it's quote-unquote horror but it's more like a psychological thriller 
in reality. It's got a supernatural element to it, kind of. But, you know, the mom in this movie essentially is dealing with trauma from being abused when she was a young woman. And she is projecting this trauma onto her daughter's relationship. And she starts to believe that this trauma that affected her and this man that abused her is somehow reincarnated and abusing her daughter, or he has it out for her daughter. And I just thought it was a really cool way to explore the story. The idea of the evil eye uh, as this like talisman of protection for a family and the way that astrology and different religious aspects of, of a Hindi religion that I'm not familiar with were brought into this. It took a kind of familiar story to me and it, put it in this different wrapper that I had never seen or never tasted before. And so I, it was, I was compelled the whole time. And I also got to tell you, man, Sunita Mani, I have not seen anything else she's been in. From what I hear, she's actually one of the stars of Glow, which is that Netflix uh, wrestling show that was apparently just canceled, sadly. But she's phenomenal. I loved her in this role as the lead actress. And I was just completely engaged with her and I would watch anything she's in. So I don't think any of these films for me are like blow my doors down greatest of the year, but I think they're all pretty solid and this was my favorite. But what did you think? Because you did the run back when I told you it was my favorite. I'm going to be the opposite. Um, not because uh, opposites attract, but uh, I felt that this is the less interesting film out of all of the Bloomhouse films. And for me, it comes down to the first half is great. I mean, the first half we get a double dip into Indian culture. I mean, this is one of the first films I've seen to really have an all Indian cast, like the big sick, like Slumdog Millionaire um, back in 2008. And it was great to be in, it, it's great to see that kind of diversity on screen. You know, it really opens up my eyes to different, um, different cinema a actors and actresses that I'd never heard of. Um, like you described, um, Sunita, um, Mooney, I'm sorry if I butcher her name, but yeah, she's awesome in this. I mean, she's great. Like, you can see that the mother is kind of the lead character, if you think about it, because most of the film deals from her perspective, but um, Mooney is just, she shines in every scene, and she has charisma, and, you know, she has beauty as well, and then she also can um, handle the emotional moments um, good as well. For me, when the movie unveils this parlor trick, is that's when the, the film just turns into a generic, okay, we gotta, we gotta make sure to save somebody thriller, you know, like it's a race against time. And for me, I felt that the first half was so strong and it was giving me so many layers as far as religion and the use of the evil eye and just the flashbacks and the, the mother like going through trauma. I loved all of that. That was great. But then it just divulges into a generic, okay, I gotta go save somebody thriller. And I, I expected more from it from that, especially with the way it started itself out. Like I said, the score is great. Um, Sundeep is actually a convincing villain until the later half of the film. He turns hammy a yeah. little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. He turns. He turns. That was actually one of my few negatives in the film was like his character just did not. It, he felt just so exaggerated, like you said, and hammy and campy and just it didn't feel like he was feel like he was overacting, I think. Yeah, it, it, it was like he was um, he just was thinking of like all the villain types he's seen in a film. And then he just took all that. So creating his own for that performance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it, it definitely has like an, an invisible man feel to it. If, if you've seen the invisible man from earlier this year, there's a scene towards the end where there's a dinner and the characters are together and it's very reminiscent of, and, and even the house is like kind of set out 
a little bit and it's it's in a similar design structurally and it you know similar like rich guy you know taking care of a woman who hasn't really can't do it on her own necessarily and giving her money to make things easier it's very reminiscent of some of the themes we see in that abusive relationship yeah and also i wanted to say that this film also gave me some vibes similar to fallen in 1997 with denzel washington john goodman where the whole um soul you know can jump from body to body haunting somebody um until one of them is dead so also, I recommend that film, Fallen. For anybody out there who's doing an October marathon, I will watch Fallen. Good recommendation. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that it does fall apart in its conceit a little bit towards the end. And I would have liked something, I would have liked a more unique twist on the ending. I would have liked to have been surprised and not had it go exactly as I kind of was expecting it to go. But yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. So I guess take this with a grain of salt, guys. You'll have to, if you align typically with me, maybe you'll like this one more. If you align typically with Coles, maybe you'll like this one less. But that's Evil Eye for you. And it's one of the four Amazon Bloomhouse projects. It'll be available October 13th, along with this fourth film that we're going to talk about called Nocturne. This one stars Sidney Sweeney, Madison Eisman, Jacques Coleman, and Ivan Shaw, and is directed by Zoo Quirk. This film is about a virtuoso music student who commits, well, it's not about her, actually. When a virtuoso music student commits suicide days before an important concert, her death unleashes a supernational force in this unsettling tale of sibling rivalry set at a prestigious arts academy. Having grown up in the shadow of her more talented twin sister, Shy piano student Juliet is used to always being second best when it comes to music. But when she finds a mysterious notebook that belonged to the school's recently deceased star soloist, her playing miraculously begins to improve, and she soon eclipses her sister Vivian as the Academy's top student. Along with her newfound abilities, however, comes a series of frightening premonitions, and as her visions grow more nightmarish, she discovers the true cost of achieving artistic perfection. For me, Coles, this was very, very familiar, very generic. <laughs> Sell your soul to the devil for success, sibling rivalry in the arts world. Like, it, I've seen this before, and it did absolutely nothing new to interest me. And I love that you're laughing, because my guess is you're going to be opposite me on this one, too. And, well, I'm going to let you start, because let's go with the, I went positive first, so it sounds like maybe you like this one. What did you think of Nocturne? To be frank, this is my favorite out of all Of course it is. Of freaking course it is. This is like if Whiplash was, like, turned into a horror movie. Like, you took the obsession angle of Whiplash, and then you incorporated, like, some supernatural, you know, like, the demonic influences, and just, like, this rivalry between these two sisters, and, I mean... I loved all of it. I mean, now, yes, it could have used improvement in some areas. There were some times where the whole um, playing the devil's riddle will get you, grant you powers. Yes, I understand that's been told many millions, millions, millions of times before. Um, but for me, I felt that the actors in this film kind of um, lifted the, the film past generic for me. Sydney Sweeney, I mean, I love her from her work on Euphoria, and she's great in this film. I mean, she's she's awesome. Like, she can she... In the beginning, she paints a picture of like a sweet girl who's just obsessed with doing whatever it takes to be the best pianist out there. And then over time, she turns into this person who's corrupted by ego and by, you know, greed and by um, trampling over others to get what she wants. And it says something about 
our current society where it is championed or celebrated where as long as you become famous if you have to trample over and like stomp on some people then go ahead and do that but if you're famous then it's all worth it and you know i think it's more about teaching people that yes it would be nice to have fame but sometimes if you don't have it you just don't have it like some of us are blessed with certain talents and some of us are not, but I believe that everybody has a special skill if they can tap in, just try anything and find something that appeals to them. I mean, I may be going too deep in this film. I don't even, I'm not even sure the filmmakers even had this intent of even putting this much symbolism, but for me, this film took me places and it took me to a lot of good places. It's, it's very dark. It does well with a minimalistic angle. I love the horror aspects. I love the cinematography. The score is very trippy, but... I like it, it. I like the way it fits this film because it feels disjointed, just like this film is. But disjointed in a in a creepy, obsessive, and serious way. Well, I you know <laughs> I agree with some of the things you said there. I agree that Sydney Sweeney was great. I didn't know what she was in other than this. I was not familiar with her work really, but I haven't watched Euphoria, so that must be why. Uh, I, I do like her here. I think that she does a good job, like you said, of evolving across the plot of the film from where she starts off as this shy 16 year old girl who's never had sex and never kissed a boy that was part of my problem is as she is corrupted by evil and things start to happen certain aspects of her changing just they don't feel supernatural to they don't feel very natural they're very supernatural they don't feel very natural to me uh, they feel a little bit kind of just not thoroughly transitioned i guess i would say in the way that her character development takes place of course it's a short film i mean it's meant to be an hour and a half it's not meant to be this incredibly deep character study but i kind of wanted more of that i felt like i love your i love your comparison to the whiplash angle you're right it does hit on so many of those same notes and i think that's what i was getting bored by was that it felt <laughs> the same it's like yes i know that to be a top musician is extremely competitive and it requires basically sacrificing your entire life. And so when you throw the angle in there of like selling yourself to the devil to do that, okay, I just, I didn't dislike watching the movie. That's the thing I will say. I, I do, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning, I enjoyed all three of these on some level. They were all fine for me. I would watch them. I would recommend them on a Friday night with popcorn. This is just not my favorite of them. And I, do like what it does at the ending. It does a little, unlike Evil Eye, there is a little bit of a subversion to what you expect to happen that makes you kind of wink and nod and go, okay, cool, that was fun. And I see what you did there. And I liked that about it. But yeah, so I guess a little bit split on this one too. I Oh, I agree with you on the score and the cinematography. Both of those I actually really enjoyed as well. Uh, this is the brightest, I think. Maybe, well, I guess the lie is bright because it's all like, snowy and and stuff mm -hmm. but yes this one's very bright whereas evil eye is almost always dark for the most part um and so is black box they're just a lot more darkened rooms and and areas but in this one there's a lot of light and the campus makes for good shooting and stuff and so yeah if you're interested in whiplash as a horror film and selling yourself to the devil like with sibling rivalry in the mix you know here it is that's what this one is all about well our last one that we're going to talk about is the biggest the most highly anticipated for the two of us. 
and the cat apparently is really excited about this one too. Uh, this is the trial of the Chicago seven from writer director, Aaron Sorkin, one of our faves here at feel and film. This one is going to be available to stream on Netflix on October the 16th. It has been out in theaters for a couple of months in certain cities. If you were lucky enough to have your movie theaters open, maybe you got a chance to see it. It has an all-star ensemble cast, uh, including Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, Sasha Baron Cohen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Michael Keaton, Frank Langella, John Carroll Lynch, Eddie Redmayne, Mark Rylance, Alex Sharp, Jeremy Strong, Noah Robbins, Danny Flaherty, Ben Shinkman, and Kelvin Harrison Jr. What was intended to be a peaceful protest at the 1968 Democratic National Convention turned into a violent clash with police and the National Guard. The organizers of the protest, including Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale, were charged with conspiracy to incite a riot, and the trial that followed was one of the most notorious in history. That is the premise for this film. Man, so going into this, Coles, I didn't know anything about this. I'm going to be real upfront. I had no earthly idea what this was. I was hyped for it because it was a movie about a courtroom, and it was Aaron Sorkin, and I've seen A Few Good Men a million times and love it. So I thought, well, this will (laughs) work. And, and, uh, you know, I, I knew that that part would be good. Uh, but I didn't know the story. I didn't know what the plot really was about. I wasn't familiar with this piece of history. So I feel like it's important that biopics are informative and entertaining both. Did you kind of get the feeling that this pulls that off? Um, it pulls it off greatly thanks to Aaron Sorkin. Um, I was in love. I, I was really a big fan of his um, directorial debut in Molly's Game in 2017. I, I, I thought... You know, it's not the best that he's been, but it's a good start for his directorial career. And I was very interested to see if he was going to improve and build off of that. And he does here with this film. You know, like you said, Aaron Sorkin and courtroom dramas, I mean, they go together like Americans in apple pie. I mean, he, he's able to really showcase and display the seriousness that he takes with this topic. I mean, I feel that this is some of his most passionate writing that he's done. Ever since um, The Social Network and Steve Jobs, you know, he has a thing for getting the historical details right. And he's able to balance all of these characters and this big ensemble cast. I mean, this is definitely going to be probably one of my best ensemble nominees for the Seattle Film Critics Awards and everything. Because, I mean, every actor that comes in this film plays this role right. You know, no one's trying. There's not a character or actor that really outshines everybody. I mean, everybody is just doing very well in the role that they have to play. And it all adds up. I mean, Martin, I mean, is that the way you pronounce his last name? That's how I said it. But I I mean, he's yeah. black man is to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Martin, he's, he's amazing. I mean, he's been having a hell of a hot streak. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Raymond was good in this. I was actually kind of shocked, you know, given my um, hot co-relationship with him as an actor. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, phenomenal as well. Um, I mean, Michael Keaton, even in the part he comes in, he 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 displays that usual Keaton charm and, you know, that coolness. And also a dude who might be a little bit of an a-hole, but he does very well in his many parts. I mean, everybody does a great job in this film everything is great while it might not hit the full like oh this is a classic i'm gonna remember this this is a really really great film and honestly it's my number one of the year wow that's pretty great i you know it's it's up there for me i I think charm city kings took it 
out for me barely because of the emotional connection I had to that film. Whereas this was more of an exercise in quality filmmaking for me. Uh, you know, being an Aaron Sorkin stan, like the writing is phenomenal and it's it's really great. And in the courtroom, I think it shines big time. And we knew that he could do that. And you're right. It's the actors. I mean, this is an all star cast that's pulling it off and they're in some small roles. Keaton is barely in this at all. Uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt is like the least of the main big name actors to really have any scenes like he doesn't have a ton to do in this movie it's if you're gonna put it on someone you know sasha baron cohen and probably eddie redmayne would be the two that carry the most scenes in the film i would think um franklin gella is the judge and he blew me away like i i just loved his character the way that he i mean he's evil in in a sense like he's he's easy to hate but the way that he controls this courtroom and the way that you watch this play out with Abby Hoffman, who is the guy who's played by Sasha Baron Cohen and how he's challenging the court and, and he's making a mockery of it, but he's making a mockery of it because the justice system is a mockery in the first place. The reason that these guys are here, um, as we mentioned, you know, is because there was this violent clash with police at the democratic national convention in 1968. And, all of these different groups. We The film has a really cool opening. It's like a montage, which Patrick, our other co-host, really loves. And it's where it introduces you to each of these different like leaders, the seven. And they're all coming from different places. They, they have different platforms that they are wanting to protest about. Uh, mo- many of them share the same values of ending the Vietnam War, but they're coming from different angles. And so we get to know them, and then they're all thrown in here and tried together instead of one person that supposedly was responsible. Um, and they're trying to figure this out. And you have, you know, Mateen playing the leader of – is he the leader? I think he's the leader of the Black Panthers at the time. Uh, if I'm not, not mistaken, Bobby Seale was. Um, and, and then you see just these other groups and it's just really intriguing to watch the interplay of the different political parties who are put in this situation on trial together. And then they have to kind of essentially learn to work together and bond together in a sense to fight against the bigger bad power, which is the corrupt justice system that has them there in the first place. And it's very poignant and it's very timely to much of what is on America's mind right now and how we want reform and we want change. And we see in this film that, you know, it goes back, man. I mean, obviously we know that, but like, this is another example of where the justice system fails and you just watch these proceedings and you just shake your head and you get angry and you're like, how can you treat people this way? But it's what it is, and this is the way that power works in America in many ways, and Sorkin makes it clear, and he does so in an entertaining way. Like, you, you can't take your eyes off this movie. It is just captivating the way that the dialogue sucks you in, and that's what Sorkin's power is. I did want to ask you, the movie has an interesting structure. Most of it is in the courtroom in the present day. Courtroom slash, like conference room where they're talking about things before and after court and then what it does is it it has a series of flashbacks to the actual protests where it slowly over the course of the film unveils 
the actions that took place that led to the riots and then kind of almost works like solving a mystery uh, as we're figuring out what really happened and our characters are coming to grips with the reality of that. Did that structure, I mean, it sounds like it worked for you. Um, do you, do you have any issues with it at all or do you think it was edited really well? No, I think the editing was the strongest aspect of this film, to be honest. Uh, seeing the um, story unfold from so many different viewpoints, it can get bothersome if it's not handled in the right way. And I feel that Sorkin has the right amount of pace. He knows when to extend something and he knows when to cut something down. And he's able to establish all of these characters. Like I felt, I felt like I knew every character. I felt like I knew their likes, their dislikes, what they want, what what this means to them. Like I felt like I knew every character, including from the um, government side. I felt like I. Except for one of the guys there. One of the guys there felt like kind of like the hateful guy. Just every scene I'm going to say something hateful to make you dislike me more. One of those guys felt that way. But Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the other guys, they felt developed. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I feel that we spend the right amount of time with each character. And Sorkin is able to use the same flow that he had with the social network which is another film where you take place between depositions and then you go out into the real world you have flashbacks and then you have future, some future shots as well um it worked for me very well i didn't catch any hiccups i didn't catch anything that kind of made me it was slogging or it was doing too much everything felt right good good stuff man yeah it worked for me as well i i enjoyed it from start to finish i came away from it just feeling its power and feeling kind of just hit with a, I don't want to say it with a brick because it wasn't in a bad way, but I just, it was one of those movies that kind of slammed me. I was like, oh, okay. Until this in Charm City Kings, I hadn't seen a film this year, at least not since maybe The Invisible Man, that had really like walloped me and made me go, oh my gosh, there's a movie. Like they, I've seen lots of good movies, but without going to the theater, we were kind of waiting for something to hit streaming that was going to just be a powerhouse the full package right and this one is the full package we both agree on that and so it's nice that we're not like on opposite sides finally during this podcast um so it sounds like yes so we both say the trial of chicago 7 is two thumbs up it's on netflix yeah absolutely should check this out if you are a sorkin fan at all oh and i will agree with you his direction has definitely improved since molly's game i think you can see him getting better in the way that he manages such an all-star cast, especially, and is able to get the right performance out of each of them. Uh, and again, like I mentioned, you know, you're talking about several Oscar-winning actors here who have smaller roles. Like Mark Rylance is phenomenal, but he's not the star of the movie by any means, and yet he's he's an Oscar winner, you know. And just I think, and so is Eddie Redmayne, you know what I mean? And like. Sorkin's ability to make them make nobody feel like the star and yet have them all contributing at an all-star level is really special mm -hmm. in this. And I think he deserves credit for that in addition to the, as expected, amazing writing. So very good one. Well, that's it, man. Uh, we will be back hopefully next week with some more reviews. But until then, everybody, thank you for listening Catch up with us on our social channels. The information for those is always in the show notes, and we will talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. 
These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.